Thanks, Jerry. Good morning, Highland. You know, I have to tell you, something had happened to me just this morning. As I uh, parked my car and was walking to the building, I noticed that it was extremely windy. Uh, and uh, maybe you noticed that as well. And everyone was digging out combs when they got in the building. And so, uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's been something that has happened uh, uh, on other occasions where it's been really windy up here. And I've said yeah, on occasion to people, I said, maybe we need to rename the church from highlands to high winds. And uh, so we're praying with some people before the service began. And uh, as we're, we're praying and we're thinking about, you know, a little bit of the wind, suddenly the Lord just spoke to me, actually kind of gently, lovingly rebuked me for commenting on the wind. And he said, Dean, from now on, when you think of the wind that's blowing here in the Scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit is wind, and the word in the New Testament, the Greek language for spirit, again, is wind. And so the Lord said, from now on, when the wind is blowing up on this hill, he said, rather than thinking of the high winds, I want you to think instead of the movement of my spirit. And I said, I got that, Lord. And so I would put that to you, that when you come up here, and it happens to be a, a, a windy day, particularly when it's blowing from the north, all right? In January, don't think of the cold wind. Think of the Spirit of God moving among us, doing something significant. Will you covenant to do that with me? What a great way for us to think and prepare about the Spirit of God moving in our midst. So we are studying uh, King David this fall. And we've been looking at his life from a variety of dimensions. Last week, we looked at David as a leader. And today, we're going to focus upon the great followers that he had. And so in order for us to introduce this subject of, of followership, let's look at the video on the screen. So ladies and gentlemen, at TED, we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course, you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers, because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed but they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. So, <laughs> over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. 
So first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first, and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Thanks. <laughs> that is a great summary of what it means to be a good follower. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Great movements have great leaders and great followers. Great movements have great leaders and great followers. If Highland Community Church in the future is going to do great things, it will happen because you have great leaders and you have great followers. So let's dig today into this followership using uh, David's followers to teach us some some insight about what it means to be a good follower. In 1 Chronicles chapters 11 and 12, we have a description of those who were following David. So these, uh, these followers are arranged in groupings that we're going to be looking at. And what we're going to learn as we look at each of these groupings is that there is something distinctive about each of these groupings that will give us some insight about what it means to be a great follower. So uh, we begin in chapter 11 of 1 Chronicles and verse 10. So this is what it says. These were the chiefs of David's mighty men. They, together with all of Israel, gave his kingship, notice this, strong support, strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord has promised. So the first grouping is that of the listing of the mighty men. Now, we have seen this in previous weeks, and we realized that these mighty men that are described in several places in the Old Testament were inspired uh, they were uh, released. They, they were um, empowered by David's example of killing Goliath. And so as the chronicler uh, begins to identify the followers of David, he starts with the mighty men, perhaps representative of that first follower principle. And so what's distinctive about these uh, mighty men is that they gave to David's kingship strong support. They were committed to extending David's rule beyond just the, 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 uh, the two southern tribes in Hebron, but to all 12 tribes of Israel. They wanted his, his kingdom to expand to include all of those 12 tribes. It's important to understand this. David's example with Goliath inspired them, but it was the vision that aligned them with David. Do you understand the distinction? His example inspired them, but it was vision that brought them in alignment with David. Here's an important point for us as we think about this. 
when you and I serve, when we volunteer to serve and to follow uh, the direction that the leaders of this church has established, what you are doing is that you are supporting a vision. You are saying yes to what this church is about. You're affirming what is happening here. The culture, the direction, the ministries, the leadership, very, very significant. And so you, when you volunteer and serve, you are giving strong support to what God is doing here. We come to a second group. It's in chapter 12 and verses 1 through 7. We're going to read just the the first several verses. These were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones right-handed or left-hand. They were kinsmen of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. So here we have a group of kinsmen of Saul. This is incredibly significant. Uh, They were kinsmen from the same tribe uh, as Saul was, and they came to join David. Their skills were great. They were ambidextrous. I remember when I was coaching boys basketball when my sons were growing up, one of the things I would teach them is that when they were playing defense, they were playing man-to-man defense, I would say, now, I want you to understand if their strong hand is is right-handed or left-handed. Because at that age, chances are, they were not equally uh, strong in going either left or right. And so if there was a right-handed player, you guarded him and made him use his weak hand. That was part of the principles of being a good defender when they were growing up. Now, that would not have worked with these soldiers. They were ambidextrous. They could shoot and uh, arrows. Uh, they could uh, sling stones, either right-handed or left-handed. The distinctive of this group of fellows is that they join David at a time when David is running from Saul. I want you to think about that. Saul is king. David is running from him, fleeing for his life. Who would leave a winning team to join a losing team? Who wants to join a movement when it is weak, it is in retreat, it is fleeing, and it is hiding? That's what these Benjamites did. Obviously, they are committed to the vision and a temporary setback does not uh, overwhelm them and discourage them to the point that they would withdraw and say, we don't want to be a part of that movement. No, they were able to see through a temporary setback, and they said, this is the plan of God. I want to be a part of God's movement here. And even though there's something temporary that is a hiccup, we're not going to let that hiccup stop us from staying and being a part of this growing movement. I think that's incredibly significant. That, that movements have little hiccups, they have some setbacks, but if we're committed to the vision, to what God wants to do, we don't permit that to stop us from joining and being a part of that movement. There's another group that is listed in verses 8 to 15. 
And so there were some Gadites who defected. That's a strong word, isn't it? They defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. Now, there were two and a half tribes that were given land east of the Jordan River, of which the Gadites were one of those tribes. And so uh, they defected to David in the, strong, uh, in the desert. And notice, they were brave warriors, ready for battle, and able to handle the shield and spear. Their faces were the faces of lions. I mean, they looked like soldiers. And they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. What a beautiful description of these men. Down in verse 14, these Gadites were army commanders. They were very skilled. The least was a match for a hundred and the greatest for a thousand. Imagine what it must have been like when a significant commander in Saul's army defects and joins David's army. How discouraging for Saul's army, but how encouraging it must have been for David's army. In verse 15, it was they who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all its banks, and they put to flight everyone living in the valleys to the east and to the west. Here's the distinctive about this group of Gadites. The Jordan River is at flood stage. They could have waited a couple of months until flood stage was over. There was a legitimate obstacle that would have said, let's just camp along the river here for a few months and wait until it's convenient. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. They didn't see the obstacle. Uh, they, they overcame uh, the Jordan River at flood stage in order to continue to do battle. That, to me, speaks of people who are part of a movement. A great follower is one who doesn't permit obstacles to, to cause them to withdraw or to step back, but they overcome obstacles. In fact, they turn obstacles into opportunities. That's what great followers do. Uh, just bring this up into the contemporary, to a, a hypothetical situation for us. Again, this is hypothetical. And so let's imagine that as Jerry gave the announcements this morning, he stops and he says that, well, we've got a ministry that's beginning and we need some volunteers. And, of course, that's hypothetical because we know that most churches have no lack for volunteers, do they? There's rarely ever an appeal for volunteers, you know, in a church service. But let's, let's just say hypothetically that that was happening. And so as the announcement is being made, there are some very mature, godly people who are sitting in the, the congregation. They hear the plea for volunteers, and they stand up, they interrupt the speaker, and in their haste to come forward and volunteer, they tip over chairs and, and butt into people and Bibles and, and connection cards go, go, go all around because they are so excited to volunteer for a job in the church. Again, it's hypothetical. That just doesn't occur, does it? But you know what? These followers... They said, we are not going to permit the Jordan River at flood stage to stop us from serving and giving. That's a distinctive of a great volunteer. 
Here's the fourth group in verses 16 through 18. Other Benjamites and some men from Judah came to David in his stronghold. Now, this is an interesting group because Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. David came from the tribe of Judah. And so now what's happening is that we've got a, a, an unusual uh, a, a confederation of these two tribes. One tribe has so much to gain, and the other tribe has so much to lose. And so this group came to David, and David is suspicious of the motives of these guys because it's such an eclectic, unusual group. And so what does David say? He says, he went to meet them, and he said to them, if you have come to me in peace to help me, I am ready to have you unite with me. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies, when my hands are free from violence, may the God of our fathers see it and judge you. So he's just not certain. This is an unusual amalgamation of people, and he's not sure that their motives are pure. And so he tests them, and the distinctive of this group is found in verse 18. I want you to note the passion of the fellow who speaks for this group. The Spirit of God came upon Amasai, chief of the 30, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are with you, O son of Jesse. Success, success to you, and success to those who help you, for your God will help you. Do you sense that these fellows said, David, we are all in. We are committed to you because God is going to expand his kingdom through you as the king. And they said, we want to be a part of that. You love followers who have passion and are committed to seeing the movement go forward. There have been times in the churches that I pastored where we received an influx of people from another church. It started with just a trickle, but soon it grew enough so that it was an identifiable group within the church. And that was of concern to me as a shepherd for them, but also a shepherd for our flock. And so uh, working with our elder board, we invited, here's what we do, we, we would invite all this the, these new people that have come from another church, we, we invited them to the church evening, had a nice dessert, coffee, had a time of fellowship, got to know them, etc. And then after a while, we, we would sit down, the elder chair and I sat down on stools, and we said to them, tell us your story. And they poured out their hearts to us of things that had happened in their former church and how they were bruised and battered by what had happened. And as we heard their stories, your heart just went out to them. Now, it's their perspective, and I realize that there might be another perspective as well, but there was without any question, these were bruised sheep. And so as we listened to their story, we let them go on and on and telling their story. And then after a point in time, it was our opportunity to respond to them. And we said simple things like, we're so sorry. And we were empathetic to, to their situation. And then I said, I want you to know that, that whether you are here for a short time or a long time, I want you to feel as though that this can be a safe place for you. I said, no, can't guarantee that we'll never hurt you because I've got feet of clay 
And, uh, you know, we are humans, but we want you to feel safe and comfortable here. And then after we'd said that, we then went ahead and we walked them through our mission statement and our values as a church and what our vision was. In essence, we were telling them, this is who we are. And if you want to be a part of what we're about, fantastic. Come in and join us. Be a part of the thing and the movement that God is creating here. I want you to know, Highland Community Church, that in the future there will be others that will come here and they will want to be a part of this movement. But I also want you to know that there may be some who will come and they will come with their agenda and they will want you to change your mission to fit their agenda. Just be aware of that. David was very concerned that a group came, and he, he was wondering, are you really with us? And they were passionately engaged in what God was doing through this movement that David was leading. And so we continue. Verses 19 through 22, we have another group. And so some of the men of Manasseh, this is another one of those tribes that came from across the the river, they also defected to David when he went uh, with the Philistines to fight against Saul. Verse 21, these are those who helped David against raiding bands, for all of them were brave warriors, and they were commanders in his army. Day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. Again, very skilled uh, soldiers and commanders, and the distinctive here is that they came to help David. Ten times in this chapter, there is reference to the men who came to help David. And so in verses 23 through 27, uh, there's a census that is taken of the number of soldiers that joined uh, David's army. And if you look down to that, you will see that there is representation from all 12 tribes how significant this was, so that there is this wonderful summary. Day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army, like the army of God. Is there a better description of great followers than that? Like the army of God. And so... Here's some very specific things, groupings, distinctives of these these, uh, men who joined them. In verse 38 to 40, however, the Chronicle really summarizes these groups with three qualities that I want to focus upon here as we come to the end of this message. Three qualities of great followers. Number one is in verse 38. All of these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. First characteristic of a great uh, follower is that there is a willingness to serve as a volunteer. Now, some translations use different words. Mine uh, uses the word volunteer. Other translations say they joined the ranks. Uh, They came in battle formation. They marched into camp. 
the picture that emerges is that the ones who came were skillful soldiers and they came not to sit, but they came with prepared and ready to serve. As I said, ten times the word help is used in this passage. So, how many of you in your household have family chores that are distributed to different family members? Okay, all right. Children, do you have chores? You do, all right. Clean your room. Uh, put your dirty clothes away. Uh, perhaps you've got some responsibilities, you know, uh, after mealtime to put your plate in the sink or in the dishwasher. If you've got a pet, perhaps you've got a responsibility. If you live on a farm, chances are that you've got some responsibilities. It's just part of being a family, isn't it? This is what it means to be a family. And likewise, it's also true uh, when you're a, a member, attendee of a local church, that the church is a family and there are family chores. And so let me talk for a, a few moments about two family chores that I think are incredibly significant in this serving as a volunteer. The first one is to identify, discover your spiritual gift, and then be committed to using it in service. Every one of you has a spiritual shape. And, and that shape helps to understand where it is that you are best suited to serve in the kingdom of God. And if you want to be a part of this movement called Highland Community Church, it is important for you to discover your spiritual gift and roll up your sleeves and begin to use it for this movement. There's a second, however, family chore that I see as being incredibly significant. And it is this. Covenant to protect the culture of this church. Now, last week we talked about the three C's of leadership. Do you remember what they were? The first one was character, wasn't it? We talked about integrity, the person's life and spiritual formation and walk with God. The second C was that of competency, the, the skills that a person has. And number three was relational chemistry, how they interact and work with people. Those are the three C's of leadership. Then we talked about a fourth C, charisma. And we said that charisma can be helpful for a leader, but it is also dangerous in that the tendency would be to depend upon charisma rather than the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's very dangerous. But there's a fifth C that I want to talk about here just for a few moments. It's the word culture. Culture. Organizational culture. Now, Every organization has a culture. No, no, no organization is devoid of that. A, a culture is the, the uh, behavior and the attitudes of that organization. And behavior and the values, or, or the, excuse me, the attitudes of an organization uh, are the reflection of what it believes and what it values. Am I making sense? So we've got the behaviors and attitudes, that which is seen and experienced. But that behavior and those attitudes are the reflection of what people believe and what we value. 
So, every organization has that culture. Now, what happens is that sometimes in churches and organizations that that create questionnaires, and right now the church in its search for a new pastor has had to complete several different questionnaires. And one of the questions that is posed to church leaders is this question. Is your church attractional or is it missional? And um, that's a very difficult question to answer. I look in the church in the early chapters in the book of Acts, the church at Jerusalem, and I find that the church in Acts was incredibly attractional. People were drawn to, uh, to be with the, the church because of what God was saying, what God was doing. There was such good teaching, and yet there was such care and love that was expressed. So people wanted to be a part of that. And, and so when I hear that question today uh, saying, is your church missional or tractional, I reject the premise. In my estimation, it's not either or, but it is both and. We have a mission, but we also should be attractional, which speaks to the culture. The culture of what happens here. Are people welcome when they come? Do we cultivate a sense of the presence of God in the worship? And those are the sorts of things that, that speak of culture. Now, it is said of Jesus in John 1 that when he came to this earth, he was full of grace and he was full of truth. In a microcosm, that's the kind of culture that we want to create as a church. A church that never shies away from speaking the truth, doing it uh, and, and being honest one with another, but to do so in a spirit of love and care and grace. And when that kind of environment occurs, I tell you what, it is attractional. Because people want to be a part of something where there is both truth and there is love and grace that is demonstrated. And so I encourage you as a church, when you have a healthy culture, guard it, protect it, commit to contributing to the healthy culture that exists here. And when you see something that doesn't seem quite right, rather than talking to someone else, who you know is going to be a complainer. Instead, talk to the appropriate leader. That's the loving. That's the truthful. That's the honest thing to do. And when you do that, you contribute to a healthy pattern of working through difficult stuff. All of that contributes to a healthy culture. And so when I think about serving as a volunteer, discover your gift. But also, every one of us, we commit and covenant to build a healthy culture that is attractive to people. In verses 38 and 39, we see a second quality. It says, They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. 
So the first quality is that of serving as a volunteer. The second quality would be that of supporting the vision. Did you see that? They came fully determined, and with one mind they came to make David king. They came not to undermine the vision, not to change the vision, but to support it, to contribute to it, to own it as their very own. Here's what I've discovered. A godly vision has a tendency to unite diverse groups of people under one overarching vision to be a movement that God would use. When I speak of vision, I speak of a preferred direction that we would go as a, as a congregation, a, a direction that we will devote our time and our energy and our resources towards the fulfillment of that. Now, I've said this a couple of times and in a couple of different ways. This is a beautiful facility, but it is not a vision. It is a means by which vision is created. And, and right now, Highland Community Church does not have a clear vision for the future. Listen carefully. That's okay. It's okay. Because you're learning new things about this facility. And secondly, you are in the search for a new pastor. And that new pastor will bring with him some ideas but he will want to work with the leaders that are here. And over the course of time, the vision of how to use this facility and how to touch your community will become very, very clear. So, right now, the vision probably is not there, but I want you to know this, that our elder board is working on some issues right now we're discussing some significant issues that we can be about while the search for the new pastor is occurring. And so more of that will be coming out uh, in the days and the weeks ahead, but we are looking as to how we can be improving the ministry of the church in anticipation and preparation for the new pastor coming and the joyous journey of creating a new vision. And when that's laid out, if you want to be a great follower, support that vision. And finally, number three, third quality is this. The men spent three days there with David, eating and drinking, for their families had supplied provisions for them. Also, their neighbors from as far north. Now, this, is, this is north of the Sea of Galilee. They came from Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali, the three most northerly tribes. They came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen. There are plentiful supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, oil, cattle, and sheep. Third quality, share your resources. Share your resources. I mean, these families supported their husband's soldiers. You know, this is before the GI Bill. <laughs> this is before, uh, you know, uh, there was a good military pension when you retired. Uh, this was before all those sorts of things. So when a person volunteered to serve in the military, their family gave them the K rations in order for them to stay on the battlefield. And, and, and they shared their resources. In fact, they came from a great distance to share their resources. It's important to us to remember that the realization of a vision will require the sharing of resources, of talent, of time, 
and ultimately of treasure. Now, notice the very last phrase that summarizes these two chapters about great followership. It says this, there was joy in Israel. I love that. There was joy in Israel. Here's what they had. They had great leadership in David and the military commanders. They had great followers, and we saw some of the distinctives of those followers. They had a great vision, a vision that God had given to them. They had great resources as described here, and finally, they had great joy. Folks, they had it all. They had it all. Would you have wanted to be a part of that movement? I would have, I would have signed up to be part of that. And I want you to know, Highland Community Church, pray that God gives you a great leader and a new senior pastor to work with the existing good leaders who are already here. Covenant to be a great follower. Pray that God's vision for reaching this community and going to the ends of the world is made clear. Make sure that there's an abundance of resources and then have a lot of fun together. Joy and laughter and play. Oh, that's, that will attract people. I'd want to be a part of that church. You have the power to become that kind of a church. Commit to being that kind of a church. And you do that, I tell you what, there's going to be a great movement of God in this place and through you as His people. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for these great followers that are a part of Highland Community Church. Lord, just this morning I heard of one, one council that has over 75 volunteers that are serving on a regular basis. How wonderful that is, Lord, that so many have discovered their gifts. Lord, we do pray that in the days ahead that your purposes continue to be seen and Lord, I, I pray right now that there would be great joy in this church. That the people would love to be together. And that, Lord, they play well together. Thank you for the little groups, the little posses of boys and girls that are running around here after church. I love to see that. God, I ask that you continue to bring the joy of the Lord into our lives, particularly during these difficult days of COVID. Lord, it's strange to know how to meet together, how to be a community with masks and with some of the restrictions. And yet, Lord, we pray that, that we would not permit these restrictions to overcome what you are doing in this church and with these good people. And so, Lord... Thank you for David's relevance for today and for his ministry 
to Highland Community Church's ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.